Amen. Jesus has overcome. And because he has overcome the world, and we are more than conquerors through Christ, we have overcome the world as well. And we need to live like that. That's what we believe, isn't it? It matters what you believe. Do you agree? Because what we believe determines how we live. And it matters that we get it right about God. Of all, above all things, we need to believe the right things about God. Do you agree with me? A few of you do. That's good. I'm assuming, because you're at Calvary Baptist Church, that you all agree with me. It's important that we, we know our God and we believe what is true about our God. For me, and why I'm, I'm really passionate about this, I'm passionate about doctrine, I'm passionate about the truth, in case you hadn't noticed. I hope you've noticed, because I am. I am. And I'll tell you why. Because to me, believing the truth and acting upon the truth of God's word is an act of love toward God for me. It's it's an act of loyalty to God. And, And nothing fires me up more, and some of you already know this, you've seen it happen. Nothing fires me up more than when our God is misrepresented because I see it to me as an act of disloyalty toward God. I can tell you right now, if you misrepresent my wife, I'm coming after you. And I can tell you, if you misrepresent me to her, I don't even want to imagine what's going to happen to you. Or my kids. And we're all the same as that. Kelvy, if I, if I misrepresent Jen, which I'm not going to do, it's going to be a problem. If it's a problem for us with our family, how can it not be a problem for us with our great God, our Christ, who gave himself for us? Don't let people misrepresent your Christ the truth of God's word. Don't take that standing down. Don't participate in that kind of thing. That's an act of disloyalty to your God. Did Jesus not say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments? What what do you think he was talking about? He's talking about his word. Go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe whatsoever things I've commanded. That's what he's talking about. It's the word of God. If you love me, that's who you are. So, that's who we are. If you, if you want to not know the truth about God, then you need to go to some other church. But here, we're going to work on the truth of God and who He is, as best we can. And, and He's not made it hard for us. The Word of God is really not hard to read and understand. He's given us teachers. He's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us to truth. And so the Pharisees, of course, were always trying to catch Jesus up on the truth. They'd come to Him all the time, and they were trying to trip Him up trick him. They'd ask him questions. They were hoping that they could catch him misrepresenting God. 
That's what they were hoping for. Because they were experts in the law. What do you think that was? It was the word of God. They were experts in the Old Testament. Now, mind you, they were experts in the law, didn't know the lawgiver. That's the problem. You can, you can be so into the word of God that you don't even know who God is. That should not be. But they were always trying to trip him up. Hope that he would say something wrong. So they came to him one day, and we talked about this last week. They asked him when the kingdom of God would come. Why were they asking him that question? Well, it was hopefully to catch him saying the wrong things because they knew about the kingdom of God. It's written about in the Old Testament. We don't learn about the kingdom of God only in the New Testament. It's all over the Old Testament. Read the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65. We're going to look there a little bit this morning. So they knew about the kingdom of God. They were trying to trick him up. But that isn't the only reason they were asking him about the kingdom of God. They had some ambitious ideals. You see, what they had in mind is, being that they were experts in the law, the head echelon and the clergy of the time, they were assuming they were going to get a promotion. When the kingdom of God came, they were assuming that they were going to get cabinet positions in that kingdom. And they weren't alone in that. We also know the disciples had that same idea. How do we know that? Mama Zebedee, remember we talked about her last week? Matthew 20, verse 20 and on. What did Mama Zebedee ask? She asked if her boys, Jimmy and Johnny, could have cabinet positions in the kingdom when it came. Can they sit on the right and the left side of you when you come into your kingdom? They were all anticipating the kingdom. It wasn't a mystery to them. What was a mystery was what was unfolding before their very eyes. They were assuming Messiah was going to destroy Rome, come in, bring the kingdom, give them cabinet positions. Uh, Israel would be uh, over all the nations for, forever, and they were excited about that. And Jesus brings to them some important teaching in Luke chapter 17. We're going to camp there this morning again and look at the second part of this, the doctrine of the not yet kingdom of God. Uh, last week, we looked at what Jesus actually said to the Pharisees, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. But what I want to do, uh, since this is the Lord's table day... I want to fast forward a few pages in your Bible, and then we'll come back to Luke 17, so you can keep your finger there, but I want to fast forward to Luke 22 for a moment, because Jesus said some very interesting things there. But before we uh, start looking and, and explaining the Scriptures, let's call upon the Lord and ask Him to open up our hearts and our minds to understand what He has for us today, and I also want to... Uh, pray uh, as well, a prayer of thanksgiving and blessing uh, for our deacons, leadership. This is their uh, first public um, gathering here uh, of the new term, and uh, we have some new deacons with us. I just want to pray and thank them and ask the Lord to bless them. We so appreciate them, don't we, the officers of our church who serve so, so sacrificially, and we, we love them so much. So let's just pray. Our Father and our God, thank you so much for bringing us together this morning. <clears throat> it is good. It is good to sit under the, the teaching of the Word of God. It is good, O oh God, to come and praise you and lift up our voices because Christians sing. That's what we do. Uh, that, that's how we demonstrate we're filled with the Spirit, with songs, psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, th that, that declares, uh, testifies to the world and to each other. 
that, that we have the Spirit of God. We're filled with the Spirit of God. So we come and we sing and we pray and we proclaim the Word of God and we gather at the Lord's table to remember, oh God, what Christ has done for us. And so we pray that you would open up our minds to understand what you have for us today. These are lofty topics, uh, uh, incredible, amazing things, oh God. But they are wonderful in our hearing. And Lord, I prayed this morning that uh, our hearts will be fixed on what you have for us as you again describe who you are, that we might know you and in knowing you, believe in you and in believing in you, love you and serve you with loyalty. Thank you for our deacons. Thank you for giving them to us as a church. Thank you for their service. Lord, thank you for their love for you, uh, their commitment to you. Thank you for their families, the sacrifices they make to pray and love the congregation, to serve them. So, Lord, we just pray that you bless them and strengthen them for this new term. Give them uh, the unction of the Spirit of God, the strength of God's Spirit that they need to uh, speak from your heart, to uh, serve from your heart, O oh God. And I pray that you'll prepare us for those things that are, are coming our way this year as we serve you and as we love you and as we have this great opportunity to reach into our community, our region, with the truth, oh God. So would you continue, Lord, to be our strength, our stronghold, our refuge, our ever-present help in time of trouble, our rock, our fortress, our high tower, oh God. And lead us to truth. Your word is truth, and the truth sets us free. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke 22, Jesus was meeting with his disciples at the Last Supper, and he made two very curious statements uh, in verse, both verse 16 and verse 14, or 16 and 18, I should say. As he reclined at the table, and the Passover was... Uh, being presented, he said this in verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now keep in mind, it wasn't too long before that that these questions had been posed to him. When is the kingdom of God coming? And now here they are at the Last Supper and Jesus is talking again about the kingdom of God. In fact, he's saying, I'm not going to eat again until the kingdom of God. I'm not going to have this, this Passover until the kingdom of God comes. The fulfillment. And in 18, he says, For I tell you, I'll not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so he, he marks out this ceremony as a linkage between the now of his reality as king who has come and the not yet of the kingdom of God that is yet to experience its final and, con and the consummation of, of the final stage of the kingdom of God. The Lord's table is that ceremonial connection between the now of our salvation reality and the not yet of the final eternal stage of the kingdom. So we are in the kingdom now. Christ the king is ruling. He is our king. But we live anticipating the not yet of the fullest expression of the final stage and consummation of, of all of human history, and, and we call that the kingdom of God, the final kingdom. We look for that. We long for that. And so this meal 
This long-awaited meal in the future that Jesus is talking about is the marriage supper of Christ. When the church, the bride of Christ, will be gathered with the groom, Christ Jesus, and that grand marriage supper will take place. And we have these uh, ceremonial opportunities at church to remind ourselves that we are people living in the now but the not yet. We are in the now of our salvation. We are in the kingdom of God, but we are waiting for the final consummation in that gathering meal with the bride and the groom. And we, we illustrate that to each other, to encourage each other. And we come in here on a, on a given Sunday like this. And, and, and regardless of what's happened through the week and how our hearts might be discouraged or, or things might be, there might be great pressure on us or there might be, might be uh, um, disappointments in our lives, we come here and we realize that we are living in the kingdom of God and we are living and looking for that time when there will be no more trouble, no more tears, no more sickness, no more dying, no more hassles, no more persecution, no more frustrations. And this meal that we have together, this Lord's table, marks that out and reminds us of what is coming, this ceremony. What Jesus said transported the now of, of, of the Lord's table into the not yet of the kingdom, the eternal greets real time. Uh, do you realize we are, there's, a, there's a link here with all of our brothers and sisters from the past and this common communion Lord's table continues to link us to the ultimate future. It is this eternal picture uh, in real time. It's an amazing thing. And that's why we always say at the end of the, or usually say at the end of the Lord's table, uh, we eat and we drink uh, until the Lord comes. We mark out his death until he comes. So um, I want to go back, though, from Luke 22 now. I want to go back. You, you have your finger in Luke 17. I want to go back there now. And uh, I want to address the Pharisees' question all over again. Uh, verse 20, once having been asked, just sir, for a review in case you weren't here last week, and uh, by the way, we, we are going to uh, do a little bit more teaching time tonight than we usually do. We'll be having our DCs, of course, so you, you need to come back here. But, but we'll do a little bit more teaching time tonight because I really want to talk to you about a description of the final kingdom that I don't have time this morning to deal with. And uh, so I would encourage you to come on back tonight uh, for that. But here's what he asked the Pharisees, or the Pharisees asked him, I'm sorry, um, when uh, the king in, in verse 20 when the kingdom of god would come and jesus replies so they they're asking when and he replies the kingdom of god does not come with your careful observation nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of god is within your reach it's among you it's here right now standing in front of you the answer is me when will the kingdom of god come it has come. I have presented myself. I'm here. I'm among you. I'm within reach. And you are so spiritually insensitive. You lack the authenticity that you need. You are so disingenuous that you can't recognize when the kingdom of God is standing and staring at you in the face. It's here now. And... Um, I, the king, have brought 
this the salvation of the nations stage of the kingdom to you right now. At this point, he turns his attention away from the Pharisees. Notice in the text. Then he said to his disciples. And the reason he does this, I'm pretty convinced, is because the Pharisees had no part in the kingdom of God. They were rejecting and would continue to reject the king. You reject the king... You don't get into the kingdom. That's just the way it works. That's the prerogative of the king. So he basically turns his back on the Pharisees, having presented himself to them. Here's the kingdom. It's right within your reach. Why don't you reach out and grasp it? So he turns away from them and turns to his disciples and starts to talk to them about the kingdom of God because they were eligible for the kingdom They were responding to the king. And so he's telling us this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if he's the king of your heart, if he's the king of your life, this is what Jesus is saying to you this morning. He's saying to you what he's saying to the disciples. I'm going to let you in. He's saying, I'm going to let you in on the answer to that question. And so he talks to us. It says then, and then he says to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. So he's going to clarify with them what kingdom they're actually talking about. Now, the kingdom that they were referring to, the disciples, and the kingdom that the Pharisees were referring to is the one that they were hoping to have cabinet positions at. It's It's the one that they knew about that the prophet Isaiah had told them. If, in your Bibles, would you turn back with me for a, for a moment to Isaiah 65? We could turn to Isaiah 11, and we'd get some information there about this, but I want to look at Isaiah 65 for a moment. We'll uh, unpack it a little bit more tonight. But, but this is what they're referring to. This is the kingdom they were looking for. Isaiah 65, 17. By the way, there's, um, in, this ch- in the rest of this chapter, there's some... Descriptions of different facets of the kingdom, which I'll talk about tonight. Because as you're reading this, you'll say, well, I didn't think that was going to be happening in the final kingdom. If that's what has piqued your curiosity, you're right. You're absolutely right. Some of this is talking about millennium. Some of it's talking about final kingdom. Behold, in verse 17, I will create new heavens and a new earth. You're saying, wait a second, I... Did I not read that in Revelation? Yeah, you read that in Revelation. That's not a New Testament. It didn't come out of the uh, vacuum and, and, and was only recorded in the New Testament. It came from prophecy. The former things will not be remembered. Praise the Lord. I mean, seriously, that's a, that's a woohoo moment. The former things will not be remembered. For all of you who are worried about that, nor will they even come to your mind. This is good news. This is fantastic. We won't have to remember the Hawks won the Stanley Cup anymore. That's what I like about it. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. We know this is sometime in the future because there's a whole lot of weeping and crying going on in Jerusalem this morning. Is there not? There is an Oshawa. 
I'm going to skip the next few verses because it's really millennium. Down to verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But dust will be the serpent's food. And they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. This is what the disciples and the Pharisees were asking him about. When is the wolf and the lamb going to lay together? When is there going to be no more weeping and crying and pain and persecution in Jerusalem? Because there was a lot then. And so Jesus decides to tell them the answer. Time is coming, he says. It's not here yet. It's not now. It's, not, it's the not yet. The time is coming. The final kingdom stage. The, the one you've been longing for for a while. The one the Pharisees were referring to. That one. When Christ brings righteousness and God's way is the only way in, in the whole earth. That time. That day, Jesus was prophesying things yet to happen. He says down in verse 25, there's some things that yet have to happen before that day can come. Uh, First, he must suffer, the Son of Man, me, many things and be rejected by this generation so that he will be embraced by many generations to come. He is talking about his crucifixion, his yet to come, his suffering, his rejection, the crucifixion. His death, his burial, his resurrection is yet to come that generations to come might be able to receive him and respond to him. Families of families coming into the family of God. But he tells them that the final countdown when this happens has started. You see, the Son of Man, the day of the Son of Man has started once the suffering and rejection of Jesus Christ is completed. We are in the final countdown. The Lord's table is a symbol of people in waiting. Every time we come to this table, we are marking out more of the final countdown toward the kingdom that is coming. So he says to them, don't don't go running and chasing all over the place, looking for... The idea that here it is, there it is. Don't look after, out for rumors and backroom claims and speculative declarations. There's a whole lot of, you know, when, when, we look at, when we're, we're looking at end times teaching, uh, regularly we're asking the question, like, so what? Why are we learning all this? Are we learning this to, uh, so that we will have, um, um, we can make a movie out of it? Maybe we could entitle it something like Left Behind, for instance. Or, or, or are, we, are we doing this so that we can amaze our friends with our next prophetic conference? Or because we want to put together um, amazing dispensational charts? I was quite interested in this kind of thing years ago. In fact, I found my high school Bible tucked away in my shelf. It's like 45 years old. There's a guy, I, I heard a gasp. I, yes, I did, because 
because you were thinking, you, he can't even be that old. <laughs> High school, 45 years ago. Gasp, he's old. I was looking through it. I was fascinated with end times things. Those of you who were in my generation will remember those times back in the 70s. I got here um, in the front of my Bible, Daniel 11, 40 to 43, 1974, with a question mark. Hal Lindsey and the late great planet Earth. Did you read that book, Pastor Ken? Of course you did. Everybody who was a Christian, a good Christian, read that book. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. Did you read the follow-up? Oh, I guess you weren't that spiritual then. <laughs> I, I've got at the front of my Bible here, uh, red lines mean prophecies fulfilled, and red lines with a blue bracket mean prophecies not yet fulfilled. And then blue lines are verses of individual importance. I, 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 um, when I get back to Revelation, I've got all the all the seal judgments and all the trumpet judgments. Where's the camera? Get that, Jerry. Look at that. You see them all color? Uh, I'm not used to this. I got to get a TV ministry so I know how to do this. Friends, friends, you can just take your offering envelope and fill it with money so that you can be prosperous. Wait a second, I'll be prosperous if you do that. I, I was really fascinated by this stuff, but what's the point of all of this? So what? What does Jesus want us to know? It's about our hearts. The, the point of prophecy, the point of telling us about these things that are coming is a heart issue. That our hearts might be right before God. Not, this is an intellectual exercise. This is life and death. This is urgent. Jesus is going to tell us things here that are very serious. Look what he says. The Son of Man, the days of the Son of Man will come in power, Mark 13, 26. He came the first time meek and mild, riding on a colt. Because he didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But the next time he comes, he's not coming that the world through him might be saved. The next time he's coming is to gather those who are saved to bring into his kingdom forever and those who are not saved to face the judgment and wrath of God. Now, how do I know that? Well, keep reading. It's going to be visible. People won't be asking, when's the kingdom coming? It'll be very visible. They'll know. And it'll be unexpected. It says in verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People will be eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Now, sometimes we get really confused about this, and we're, uh, the, the, old, uh, the old guard used to talk about this prophetic moment. They say, well, yeah, we're waiting for the days of Noah. When it's as bad as the days of Noah, then we know Jesus is coming back. Jesus isn't describing bad days here. He's describing very normal days. Eating, drinking, marrying, being married. Do you like those things? Do you like eating? I like eating. I like, do you like drinking? I like drinking. Do you like marrying to one woman or one man for life? 
Sure you do. Are these not the normal kind of happy things about life? These are everyday things. He talks then about the time of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. They, they weren't expecting judgment to come. They should have been. Jesus' point is they should have been. In the time of Noah, Noah was preaching to him. He's preaching his heart out. Turn to God. Turn from your wicked ways. But no, no, they just went on eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They just went on with their lives. Lot was a righteous man in Sodom, living in Sodom. Every day his heart was pricked by the wickedness around him. He was, he was proclaiming by his, his way of life, come to God, turn to him, turn from your ways. But they wouldn't. And Jesus is saying the coming of the Son of Man, the days of the Son of Man, will be just like these judgments of the past. God has already rehearsed judgment through the Old Testament when Israel was taking the land of Canaan and the nation upon nation was judged. This is no novel idea to God, nor is it novel to, to historians of the Bible or archaeological historians. God's judgment has fallen before. Those who are trying to, 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 to rip out the idea of the wrath of God from the, from the, the teaching of the redemption of people are, are, are doing it at great peril. I'm, I'm listening, I'm watching, I'm reading former evangelical pastors who are taking out of the Bible the idea of God's wrath upon His Son it isn't too long until once you take the wrath of God upon the Son, once you take this whole idea of, of punishment, of the wrath of God for, upon sin, and make this whole idea, the whole notion of theology, some, some mushy, loving God who loves everybody and, 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 and it doesn't matter, you are sentencing most of the world to hell because Jesus says there's a dividing line. There are those in the time of Noah. Noah believed God and was rescued. Lot believed God and was rescued. But the rest, notice what the text says, were all destroyed. All of them. Noah was taken to safety and those who ignored his message were all destroyed. Lot was taken to safety and those who rejected righteousness were all destroyed. And then Jesus says, down in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. What are we to remember about Lot's wife? Do you remember about Lot's wife? You're supposed to. Jesus says you're supposed to remember. Genesis 19, 26, what did Lot's wife do? When the family was being rescued out of judgment, what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. Why did she look back? Because she was longing for her old life. She was, not, she was not reaching for God. She was turning back to her old life. And Jesus says to them, because he goes on to explain, whoever tries to keep his life or his former life will lose it. But whoever pushes forward and loses his life or her life in me will preserve it. Lot's wife was reluctant to leave her old life and perished. 
Those who keep their lives from God will lose their lives. Those who lose their lives in Christ will preserve their lives. I'm not sure what kind of Jesus people are looking at when they talk about universalism, talk about the salvation of everybody, that somehow at the end love wins and God is going to save everyone. It's a different God than Jesus knew. And it, this is a just God who is telling us the truth and telling you to tell the truth. Go tell your neighbors. Go tell your family. Go tell your co-workers like Noah did, like Lot did. Go tell them before it's too late. Because there's a suddenness about all of this. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed, verse 30. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back to anything. I tell you, verse 34, on that night, two people will be, will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. It's going to be sudden. That's the emphasis here. Unexpected. People are just living like today. Could be Monday, could be Tuesday, could be Thursday of this week. People will be doing their, their normal things. And then suddenly, God will interrupt the daily routine of wicked people. Anytime, day or night. By the way, Jesus talked something very profound here in terms of, of, of the, uh, the science of our world. He said, when God determines that the final judgment is coming, it'll be night some places and it'll be day some places. Some will be in bed asleep, some will be working. In a flat world, that doesn't happen. He talked to them about a round world. Long before any of the scientists figured that out. How did he know that? How, how would Jesus know that? That Jesus. He made the world. Suddenly, without warning, taken, left behind, day or night, separation with tragic precision, the closest of family and friends, workmates, and of course, they will have no time to quickly gather their valueless possessions. Lot's wife looked back. Because when we know about the kingdom of God, we will realize that all the things we hold dear, all the things we think have value, are going to be available to us in the extreme We'll talk about it tonight. And then there's an urgency, a huge urgency. Will you listen? I, I don't know where your heart is this morning, but as we wind this up, listen, there's a huge urgency here that the Lord is telling us about. When the disciples heard all of this, 
they asked him a question because he's talking about one in bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be working together and one will be taken and the other left. And he says, the disciples say, where? And they just kind of leave it open. I'm pretty certain I know how Jesus takes the question because of how he answers it in verse 37. Where? Where are they going to be left? He says, I see a field of carcasses staring at us. Where are they going? A field of carcasses are staring at us. When God is finished with those who are left, there'll be nothing more left than what the vultures will choose to use. Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. You see, Noah was taken into rescue, and those left behind were left for judgment. Lot was taken out of the city to protection, and the rest left behind were left to judgment. Jesus is saying that those who are taken will be taken to eternal fellowship with God Almighty, and those left will be left to judgment. And then he gives a prayer, a parable, actually, of a prayer in Luke 18. We won't take time with it, but just let me say this. It answers the question, when? When will this happen? This prayer is not about if we pester God enough, we'll get our answers. We've often ripped this parable out of context and preached it as if you can pester God into answers. That's not what this is about. He says, will those of you who persist in prayer not get justice ultimately? And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man, and that's what he's talking about, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's the question. That's the big question of this, where Jesus took them. That's the question for Calvary Baptist Church this morning. In learning all of this, of where Christ is taking this, will he find faith in your heart, in my heart, Calvary Baptist Church, if he decides to come back this afternoon, or Monday, or Thursday, or 20 years from now, For whenever you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. However you sort out all of the details of the end times, and we could probably have a debate for 96 years, I know this, judgment is 
for sure coming. It's coming unexpectedly, it's coming suddenly, and it's urgent. Basketball camp we're having this week with those precious kids at that school and their moms and dads who don't know the Lord, that's the most urgent thing going on around here. That's, that's urgent that they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the message and ministry that we have here is urgent. Every event we have, our Easter musical, grab tickets, it's urgent. Should the Lord not come back before then, he might come back a couple of days after that. Are you trying to keep your life for yourself? Because the kingdom of this world, the God of this world, and the kingdom of man are all doomed. Or are you willing to lose your life in Christ for Christ? Because that's what this table is about. Our moments left are urgent. Our message is urgent. Our mission is urgent. And the mission to you this morning from my heart, because I love you so much, is if you don't know Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart as those did in the time of Noah, as those did in the time of Lot. But rather... Respond to him today willingly. Give your life to Christ, the King, and you will be welcomed into his kingdom when he comes. Let's stand for prayer. Our Father and our God, we stand in your presence, the presence of Jesus, the King, Lord of glory, having proclaimed your truth, what you have said. And now, oh God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who takes the word of God and brings it to life in our hearts. Lord, I pray that it will fan into flame the hearts of all of us who know you, that we might... This, this is not for information. This is for heart change, oh God that we might sense the urgency in our own lives, that we might check and be sure we are turning from our old life and not turning to our old life. And then, oh God, that there might be some here this morning who are on the edge of eternity. This is the moment, oh God, for those here who have never welcomed the King of kings and Lord of lords to come into the throne room of their heart, to come in today. Oh, Lord Jesus, forgive us of our sins and save us. For we believe in you, oh, Jesus. Let's stand for the benediction, shall we? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Amen? Amen. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne 
and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang. I'm trying to get a picture of the audible of tens of thousands of angels proclaiming and praising our Savior. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And they fell down and worshiped the Lamb. We're going to need new ears that can handle the immensity of the proclamation and praise of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in His kingdom for which He invites us to be citizens. Amen? Our Father and our God, what a blessed day this has been to gather with your people, God's people, who you love, to gather at this table, a ceremony between the times, the now and the not yet, the time of our salvation, the time of our coming final salvation, O oh God. We bless you, we praise you, we adore you, we love you. We offer ourselves afresh to you because you are worthy of everything that we can give you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.